Hi, I'm Chris Kergard, Journal Star Associate Editor, alongside Journal Star Executive Editor Dennis Anderson. Hello, everybody. And we're joined today by Annie Rainking, who is one of two candidates for the Peoria Public Schools Board District 3 seat. Annie, thanks for coming in and talking yes. to us about your candidacy. Yes, thank you so much for inviting me today. Great. Uh, let me jump in and, and ask you, and, and we'll be posting your, your full questionnaire and, and other information uh, online for people to, to take a complete look at. But let me ask you from the start, talk about some of the specifics of your experience uh, as an educator, as a parent, that, that you think would help make you a good board member if you're elected. Excellent. Um, so I have been in the field of education for 15 years. Um, so I started out as a classroom teacher. Um, I worked internationally for just a few months and then, um, I taught on the south side of Chicago, and then I came here to central Illinois to be back home. Um, and so I was a classroom teacher, so I really have that um, ground-level experience. Um, I then decided that I really wanted to make um, a bigger impact, and so I went back for my master's and my doctorate. So I currently am a professor um, in the education department at Southern Illinois in Edwardsville, um, and I work um, directly with undergraduate and graduate teachers on um, methodologies, on content, um, and then I provide a a lot of professional development. So um, currently, um, 15 years into education, I now um, am a researcher, I'm an author, I do a podcast, um, I do professional development, as well as um, educating the undergraduate and graduates and being in classrooms. And then I think um, why I was really driven to be part of um, running for this position is because I have skin in the game. My son goes to District 150. Um, my husband and I... Um, moved right before he um, started kindergarten, and we made the conscious decision to stay in Peoria School District um, because of um, the quality education that I knew he would get and also the diversity. We wanted him to be part of um, a community and a school that um, represented what the real world would be like. Um, so he has been, he's now a fifth grader at Washington Gifted, um, but he has been in District 150 since kindergarten. And so really um, being a parent, being an educator, um, seeing that there's really great things, and then there's always areas for improvement and everything. Um, and so that's kind of why I, I decided to run at this point. And, you know, you'd be making a commitment to an unpaid position Correct. with night meetings, <laughs> afternoon meetings, unpaid. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think that really shows um, my dedication not only to the district, but also to education as in any board member who um, decides to serve for that five years of unpaid. Um, most of the some of the professional development I provide is unpaid. Um, some of the time that I spend in classrooms is unpaid. Um, I call it my pro bono work. And it's really because I want to impact the future generation. Um, it's not really about money for me, but it's really about that impact and making sure that we are creating equitable environments for all students. Um, and Part so that impact is also being a politician too. Correct. <laughs> What's been your experience involving that? Um, so officially, I have not been a, 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 an official politician ever. Um, I've never um, actually run for um, a political office, uh, um, but I have been elected in organizations that focus specifically in education that are statewide and national-wide organizations. So I've been presidents of um, different organizations that focus on early childhood education specifically. Um, and so that is not necessarily elected by the public, but it's elected by the people who are within that organization. Um, and sorry. <laughs> and so um, that is kind of where 
where my expertise comes from that. But as a as a public servant, um, I don't have any experience with that. Given your experience in, in early childhood education in, in particular and what you may have seen as a, a parent in the district, you know as well as I do how crucial it is for those very early, very formative years that, that you can build off of with students. What does our district need to do better during those early years, maybe that that either we aren't doing now or we aren't able to do for whatever reason? Right. I think one of the biggest things um, when we talk about the district is that we really need to focus on the positives first. Um, And I think the district is doing a lot of great things. Um, They just opened um, kind of a new early childhood wing um, down at Woodruff. Um, and so there is that and um, that really dedication to early childhood, um, the funding that they've been able to secure, Valeska Hinton, the great things that Valeska Hinton is doing, um, and then the support that um, they provide Head Start or the collaborations with Head Start. So I think the district is doing a lot of great things. However, there's always room for improvement. Um, and so making sure um, that we are really focusing on that social emotional development um, is really the critical um, piece of building that foundation so that students Students can be successful throughout the rest of their grades. Um, One of the things that I often talk about when I talk to people is what's called the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is essentially that children need to feel safe before they can kind of move up in anything else. And so really we need to create those environments where there's safety, where there's room for learning, where there's room for growth. Um, And so really being able to focus on that um, because then we'll see the academics as a result of, of that work. Okay. Um, you said in, in your questionnaires you were responding to some of what we asked you that, that part of your focus would be working on ensuring some consistency in schools, specifically on principals who create safe and, and welcoming communities. How do you do something like that? Um, So um, first, I think it's talking to principals. Um, So I really want to make sure that in this position, I'm a voice for um, the teachers who are part of the the union um, and a voice for the um, principals who are not supported by a union. Um, And I think um, knowing my own background, knowing what the research says, is that when principals are moved as frequently as they have been in District 150, that it creates... um, not, I don't want to say animosity, but it creates culture, school cultures that may not be as solid as they could be, especially for principals who really build that solid foundation of community and then are transferred. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really think that consistency is really important um, for the idea of building that community and building that safe environment for the students, for the families. Um, and I think once we have that consistency, the um, the impact of the community could be greater. I know that we already have a lot of great community support in a lot of our schools, but when you have the same stakeholder who is there, who you see is dedicated, um, I feel like there's um, a better probability that people are going to be invested in that school also because they're going to see that investment from the administration. How would you be that voice? Be more clear on that. Yeah. So I would have conversations first. So first I need to be at the ground level and understand what's happening, but then also bringing, making sure that those voices are heard at the board level. So either um, saying I did a um, 
like an anonymous kind of survey and kind of seeing how principals are feeling and making sure that that voice is heard, because I also feel like principals need to have that safety net that I'm not going to or any board member is not going to call them out. Um, So bringing that voice to the table, asking questions, um, having those conversations, I I don't want to say push back, but one of the qualities that I feel like I bring is being able to ask, um, I wonder if. So I wonder if we leave principals in school districts lo- or schools longer than three years. I wonder what would happen. I wonder what the social emotional um, aspect might say. And then that, that creates an environment where the board can talk. We can talk together. We can talk with the superintendent. We can talk with other stakeholders. And we can say, you know what, we've actually never tried that. But here's what the research says. So I'm very based in research, um, just from my own professional background. And if that's what the research says, then why aren't we trying it? And kind of just putting that questioning out there um, for individuals to have. And I also know that I can't change everything in this position. But what I want to do is I want to be a voice and I want to question. I want at least those questions to be raised in um, the board, the fellow board members, the school districts, the community's minds, so that it's something like, oh, I wonder what would happen, right? I, I wonder what that might do for our children. I wonder what that might do for our schools um, and There's have those conversations. There's a lot of experience in the administration and, and Dr. Karat, and you think that are you thinking from what I'm hearing, maybe you're not in support of what they're doing and they're not asking those questions? I am in support of many things that Dr. Kratt does and what the administration does. I think that, um, again, just kind of having that anecdotal conversations with principals that I associate with, that there is some, why am I being moved, right? And asking those questions. Um, and so I would encourage Dr. Kratt and the administration to look at the research and answer that question, right? Why are principals being moved so often? Um, why are principals being transferred? What, what's the reasoning behind that? I'm always someone who, who wants to ask why, and if you give me an answer, that's awesome. But if there's no answer to that why, then I think that's a, a place for that conversation. And then where do you go with it if you get the answer that you don't like? What, what's next? And then it's building. It's building that um, it's not demanding anything, but it's building that understanding of, okay, this is your your um, perception. This is my perception. Let's focus on a goal and work towards that goal. Um, so the goal is to make sure that we're providing equitable environments for all students. I would hope that everyone on the board and everyone in administration would want to create those equitable environments for all students. So now let's bring in research. Let's bring in conversations. Let's bring in stakeholders. Let's bring in community members and see how best we can create that um, because um, that might not be created once we have stakeholder input. Once we have community members say we have a different principal every three years, what is that telling my student who's there for six years? Um, And so being able to have um, that experience. I rely back on my own experience when I was a very young teacher in my early 20s and worked at a charter school where we had a revolving door. And the kind of the revolving door for teachers and for administrators and the sense of community changed every two years. And that was instability for educators. It was instability for the families. It was instability for the community. It was instability for everyone. Um, Never really knowing what was going to happen with that revolving door and never really being able to develop those really solid, um, deep relationships that are needed for learning. Um, And so that's really where we would, where I would focus that conversation um, coming in as a voice. Do you have any similar concerns over? teacher turnover, because I know that that can also be a factor that I've heard people speak of with with teachers who 
frequently rotate through or, or who use PPS as a, a starting district and then look to, to move elsewhere where you can sometimes lose that institutional knowledge or have a change in the spirit of a, a particular building. Absolutely. But I think that it starts with leadership. So I think that a leader in a building um, can really make or break a community, a sense of community. And that stability really creates a sense of I want to be there as an educator or you know what, I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel part of this community. Um, and so I think um, that once we really have that stability um, built into the communities and kind of, I don't want to call it buy-in, but kind of that those relationships, then educators will want to be there because it will be a positive community to be in. It will be positive relationships. It will be something where they feel supported. Um, so in some of the professional development I do, I talk about the four C's. You need to feel courage in your environment. So if you have the support, you feel courage. You need to feel connected. So if the principal knows what you're doing in the classroom, supports what you're doing in the classroom, knows your name, that's feeling connected. Um, you need to feel capable. So am I capable of being a really, really effective teacher because of the support I'm getting? And you need to feel, you need to feel cared for. Do I feel like I can be a leader in my school if that's what I want? Do I feel like if I have a concern about a student, is that something that's going to be addressed? Um, and so being able to really build on those four C's is something um, that's research-based, but also really applicable in, in a school building. All right. You mentioned some of your early experience as an educator came in charter schools. Correct. And obviously, we've not only this past year gone through the debate on whether or not to renew the charter for, for Quest, but also we'll be going through that debate yes. beginning very shortly after the new board is is seated in July, looking forward into, into the following year. Talk about some of your thoughts there, particularly you, you noted in the questionnaire the value of having choice and noted some of the problems with, with Quest as, as underperforming in many areas. And you said that there are, are both new initiatives and future initiatives allowing the district to provide some of those choices. What What is there that, that's out on the horizon that the district can do? There, there's been suggestions, but I have not heard much in the way of specifics. Right. Um, so I think that, first of all, so charter schools are very different in mm -hmm. everywhere. And I know you're, you said that you were going to post my answers. And so I hope that those of you who read the answers look at kind of the differences between charter schools. Um, but I also... Um, know that the community that I just was talking about has not been solid at Quest because of the turnover in leadership that anyone can see when they go onto a job board and they see that leadership positions at Quest are often posted. Um, so that, that sense of community has is not built. It might have been built when it first started, um, but that has not happened in the recent years. And then the data shows um, a decrease in academic and social-emotional in development and those types of things. Um, so choice is super important, and I think having choice is important for all families. Options that are in District 150 currently are um, options that um, – include a lot of them are, that I know of right now, I would have to do some more investigation, are at the high school level. Mm -hmm. So the D2 program, the online program, having an IB program, having a culinary program. I mean, all of those are really great options to show that we don't have a one-track mind in District 150, that we don't are not preparing you for college. We're preparing you for college and career readiness. Um, and so being able to provide those opportunities. Um, I know that um, as my son who goes to Washington Gifted, which I know um, – 
may have different experiences than other middle schools in the community. I think um, that he's also offered many opportunities. I also think that what John Morris has done at the Peoria Riverfront Museum is excellent. Mm -hmm. Every single child in District 150 gets to go to Peoria Riverfront. Um, I I have a personal relationship with John, and so at one time when we were talking, he told um, my father and I about a story about um, a person who came into the museum who um, didn't look like what you might call a a normal museum goer, and so as people may know John Morris, he went up and talked to that man and said, hey, like, what are you doing here? And he said, well, my little girl came here with her class and said it was so neat, and she asked me to take her this weekend. Like, I'd never been to a museum before. This is awesome. So I think um, those opportunities, those community connections are really, really important for not only the students, but also for the community wider. (laughs) Some of those opportunities that that you mentioned, is the bandwidth wide enough to allow the number of interested students to participate in those things? And and is there opportunity to grow those even down into the middle school level in, in some of the opportunities that are offered or is that going to require too much whole-scale reworking of the curriculum, more money that isn't there pushed into some of those things? Um, yes, I think that it can be um – it's a process, right? You can't mm-hmm. say, well, we're going to take what we're doing in ninth through 12th grade and we're just going to throw it into every middle mm-hmm. school for fifth through eighth. It's a process. So maybe we add it to all of the eighth grades and we have to do a pilot study and we have to see what's working, what's not, because what works in ninth through 12th may not necessarily work for eighth graders. Um, and so being able to do that and then moving it down to seventh. I do think that the district has the bandwidth. I do think they have the knowledge. Um, I do think they have the expertise. Um, it's just getting that financial support, which... Um, could happen um, with a decrease um, in funding for Quest. It could happen in other ways if we get federal funding or um, other types of things to help fund that. I think the knowledge and the expertise is there. It's just how to have that sustainability, which is really important when you are implementing a new program in a school district. You're, you're a very involved pa- parent. Yes. I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when when I when you talk to teachers, you hear that, you know, I maybe have just a handful yeah. of parents come in for a parent-teacher night and that. What would you do or what needs to happen to get more parent involvement? Right. Um, and so um, – I think people may be tired of me referring back to research often, but that's really where my basis is, and that's really where I base a lot of my discussion. So one of the courses I teach right now to undergrads is talking about the difference between involvement and engagement. And involvement means we have parent-teacher conferences at 3 o'clock. You must be there. This is when you need to come. This is what's happening. When engagement is, hey, let me hear about your schedule Oh, you can't make it because you work seconds? Well, what might work for your schedule? And so it's sometimes I refer to it as that customer service type of um, approach to education, which some people may push back on. But knowing the demographics and um, the working styles of parents today, you have to do that. There are some times when my husband and I both cannot make a 5 o'clock parent-teacher conference meeting because of our work schedules because we both work full-time. And as you said, as an involved parent, that is heartbreaking to me. Um, But for parents who may that may not even cross their mind because their parents never went to their parent-teacher conferences, it wasn't part of their um, upbringing, being able to have engagement rather than involvement. So um, having um, somehow working with the union, working with the board, working with administration to have more of that flexibility of what does engagement look like rather than saying we always have this at this time so you must come if you're an involved parent and you're engaged 
well, that doesn't work for everybody's schedule. So what does that look like? And so it's really rethinking of how we see parents and families in the classroom. Um, And that not everybody has a parent. Not everybody has a mom and dad. Um, When I was working many, many hours, my my dad essentially was my son's parental figure because I could never make it to school, right? So when I was a single mom before um, I married my current husband, my father was there more than I was. Um, And so I'm sure um, that many families are experiencing that also. So it's really changing our mindsets through conversations. Again, it can't happen overnight. It's showing that we will have more engagement if we are able to provide more flexibility. Um, And it may not um, be conducive for every school environment, but it's something to at least think about and understand when you say three o'clock or five o'clock be here and parents don't show up, that doesn't mean that they don't care about their child. That it's not what it means. It means that they can't make it at five (laughs) Mm o'clock. Um, and so being able to kind of reconceptualize that. One of the things that we've talked about a fair amount over the last two decades in in particular is the need for some physical plant changes in the schools, not least air conditioning, which is being installed Mm -hmm. now as part of the the county facility sales tax to allow for the potential move over to a balanced calendar. That's really not gotten a lot of traction overall, partly because the work hasn't been done yet. Where are you on on balanced calendar and and a changeover to that for the schools? Um. I think it would be have to be a discussion. I don't I as a parent and as a professor and as someone who works, I don't have I don't have an opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the research would seem to indicate that it's better it's overall better. for students. They Absolutely. don't have the summer brain drain. Right. They don't have the summer brain drain. However, you also have to consider what that means for the working world and for the community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it would have to be now Valeska Hinton is already on it. Right. And they seem to be doing great on that mm-hmm. um, on that schedule. I think that um, if District 150 was to do that, it would need to take a lot of conversations and a lot of stakeholder buy-in. That means that stakeholders need to be at the table and have those conversations. I think some of the initiatives that have been um, tried, either successfully or unsuccessfully, um, have I don't want to say fail, but maybe not have been as successful as possible is because it was almost like this is what's happening. Get on board with it rather than really bringing stakeholders to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so as an example, as a parent, when I learned um, that the school day was going to be or was proposed to be different, um, where middle school so, would since start Since we later. have one of the oh, okay, talking about start times rather than length of the day, right? Because we do have one of the shortest school days, bar none, in the state, right? Yes, but yeah. So I was talking about start times, okay. um, but yeah, that is also true that that mm-hmm. is something to consider, right? Yeah. Um, but I was ta- when as a parent when I learned about the start times. Um, now I might not have been an engaged in meetings that might have been provided, but I was in shock <laughs> when I opened that letter and thought, "Oh my gosh, what am I going to do with my son?" That means I have to pay. More more money for before and after school care. What is that going to do to my budget? And so um, I think those conversations need to be had and, and, and those um, pros and cons need to be talked about. Um, I think down the road, period district 150 should be a balanced schedule. Now, isn't that in five years? I'm not sure. Is that in 10 years? I don't know. Valeska Hinton, those students are already experiencing it. So maybe it's a progression. Maybe it's progressing into that. Um, there's always, um, there's, there's never a black and white. There's always a gray area and figuring out what that gray area is best for the community is, is, is how I like to approach things. 
Um, it, you talked about some other initiatives to explore, and I, I want to drill down a little bit just so that I can understand better what they are. You, you talked about uh, responsive classroom and or BIST. Mm-hmm. What, what exactly are those? Yep. So um, responsive classroom is based in SEL, so based mm-hmm. in social emotional learning, which is really building that community. Um, and it's a way to really bring in um, brain science into the classroom um, through logical consequences. So rather than um, having kind of a clip chart, which if you look at research, it shows that it really doesn't develop the brain. Um, if you have the rewards, um, the Um, incentives and rewards and punishments that really doesn't develop the brain. So looking at brain science and having that responsive classroom with logical consequences is more like, um, now this is kind of a crude way to say it, but the punishment fits the crime. So um, if you um, decide, so in an early childhood classroom, like if you decide to throw a block across the block area, Mm -hmm. then it's, oh, sweetie, I'm so sorry that we made that choice today. We're going to need to move to another area because our hands aren't being safe instead of go move your clip or get out of the block area. And so it's that conversation. It's really helping build that brain um, and it's building what the prefrontal cortex, which is where a lot of that impulse control and that cause and effect is. Mm. Um, and that's really um, kind of where the basis for responsive classroom is, is mm. building that community. And then um, BIST is something that. So I'm currently working on my principal endorsement. So I'm an intern in Dunlap District, um, just to kind of make sure that I'm not crossing paths mm-hmm. with running um, as I'm running for um, Peoria District. And BIST is something that a lot of the elementary schools in Dunlap use. And it's, um, again, thinking about brain, how the brain works, and how to build that community. Um, and so I think um, as a researcher, I know that making sure that we understand how the brain works is very, very important. How I parent, how I teach is really focusing on if someone is stressed, if someone doesn't have that lowest safety of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, they are, their brain cannot learn. Physically, their brain cannot mm-hmm. learn. Um, and so really thinking about that. And then knowing um, kind of the poverty level in some of the zip codes in Peoria, knowing some of the traumatic experiences that children in Peoria district um, may face in their lifetime, that BIST and Responsive Classroom always also speak to that um, because it talks about how are uh, what we when I do professional development we talk about your dragon brain so when you are high stressed when you have trauma in your life when your brain hasn't been able to develop at a typical whatever typical is at a mm-hmm. typical rate your dragon brain turns on and it's you're in hypervigilance when you're in hypervigilance you're not going to learn and so it's really thinking about how can we help children cope so that their hypervigilance can go down, so that they're not constantly on the gas pedal, but their foot can lift up and relax for a little bit, um, and how we can really um, help with that so that we can move up in that Maslow's hierarchy of needs and get those academics um, and making sure that we really have that. Do you have any concerns on how the, all that sounds great? Right. But the reality is, you're dealing with a lot of problems in the school district. Yes. At, at, across, different, problems. At, at different, different problems. Different problems. From school to school, and mm-hmm. you're looking at a 60% um, uh, graduation rate or yes. something. Mm-hmm. How do you take all these things that sound outstanding, it, it, it could lead to great success, and work that in right now with the, all the struggles the district is facing. Absolutely. Um, well, they're already addressing some of this, um, and I forget what it's called. It's not in my head, but um, at Tree when they have... The wraparound center, right? Is on the second floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they are already addressing some of that with um, trauma-informed practices that they're already mm-hmm. um, engaged in with that. Um, and so 
it's, first of all, administration buy-in. Um, it's a dedication to it. It's maybe funding towards it, and it's um, changing school cultures. So, again, it's not a magic pill. It's not something that's going to happen in overnight, in a week, in a month, but it's something that changes the whole culture. Um, and while many people in education want something that I can do, and it's going to fix it right now, you're dealing with people's brains. You're dealing with years of trauma. You're dealing with years of poverty. You're dealing with years of things that you need to make sure that teachers are educated enough to be able to provide those supports in the classroom day in and day out. And so it's educating teachers. It's not, it's something that possibly could be completed with steps in five years. Now, does that sound great to all educators? No. But if you look at how education changes, you have to put the time in, you have to put the energy in, and you have to have those days where you feel like nothing is going right to have those days that really do make a change in the lives of our students. And that's really what trauma-based, um, trauma-informed classrooms and equity lens and education really focuses on is having that. Um, so it's not a magic pill that's going to solve it you know, August 17th of 2020, but it's something that we can really kind of build a culture of learners for teachers so that they can build that culture within their classrooms. Okay. I want to ask you two other fairly brief questions, and then I think we're going to wrap it up mm -hmm. unless there's anything else. Uh, number one, there, there's been some discussion, including some uh, school board support for the notion of, of a change in state law to uh, re-enable the, the police force for Peoria Public Schools rather than, than just having safety officers. Is that something that you're in favor of? Um, it's not a yes or no question. I think that you need to look at how police officers are trained to mm -hmm. handle um, situations within the buildings. Mm -hmm. um, you need to look at how, how city police officers are trained and how SROs are trained, the uh, security resource mm -hmm. officers, how they're trained, and making sure that they're trained with that idea that um, a 15-year-old's brain is not developed. So giving them, putting handcuffs on them and putting them in a police car or is not... Or carrying weapons. Or carrying weapons is not something that um, will teach them anything because our brains don't fully develop until we're about 25. So we're still really dealing with those adolescent brains and understanding what cause and effect is. And so really thinking about, I'm more of an advocate for mental health consultants. Mm -hmm. So is our SROs or our police officers, whoever is in the building, are they um, trained in mental health practices? Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe they don't have letters behind their name that indicate that, but do they understand the mental health practices that really impact our students? It, it will be at the board level, a yes or no question. So are you in favor or not in favor of having... Police I would I would need to get more information on their training. So that doesn't answer my question. I don't have a yes or no question or answer right now. If if you had documentation in front of me right now, so I could see the training, I would definitely give you an yes or, yes or no. But I don't have a yes or no because I don't know the training that that police officers in Peoria have or that the SROs have. Okay, and I also want to give you an opportunity to to speak to this because you know we've we've established you're you're a busy parent. You're a working educator, everything else. This is an enormous time commitment that's, that's not just two to more right. hours <laughs> on, a, on the second and fourth Monday of every month. It's also committee meetings that are in the heart of the afternoon on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. It's getting out into the community and, and doing public engagement. It's getting out into the schools and, and visiting as a board member to, to hear these things one-on-one -on -one from educators or, or principals or other administrators is that something that you can make 
the time commitment to be able to do thoroughly over that five years? Absolutely. Um, so I have already stepped down or have um, concluded my terms as some of the presidents. So I had two or three president terms for the last two years. So I've already stepped down from those in organizations. I'm already in schools a lot, um, not only in my son's school, but in other schools volunteering. Um, I'm going to go read a book next week at one of the elementary schools. So I'm already in schools and making those kind of public appearances. Um, and then I also um, am... I am an organized person, but I'm also strategically making it so that I can make sure to dedicate my time to this if I am elected, um, because I am so passionate about this. And I know um, that Peoria is doing great things for their students, and I want to be part of that growth. Anything else? Nope. All right. Well, Annie Rankin, Peoria Public Schools candidate for Board District 3, thank you very much for coming in and talking to us for a little while today. Thank you very much.